This is episode five of the Capital Commute podcast with entrepreneur and self-starter, TJ O'Malley. You got to believe in the area and the market and the house you're doing yourself, you know, and believe in the people around you. That's it. Because if you don't, you can't expect anyone else to believe in it and you can't have someone sell it. Welcome to the Capital Commute podcast, where we talk about investing in the heart of Indianapolis with an array of real estate investors. If you want to learn more about real estate investing in Indianapolis, you've come to the right place. Welcome, welcome. Really excited to have our first podcast guest today, TJ O'Malley. I'll cut right into the introduction here. TJ and I, I'm Sam Hay, have known each other for a few years now through some wild and interesting ways and who better to talk about investing than someone who's a little more seasoned than we are who's been through the ups and downs and seen some downturns and is currently uh, in the middle of a few projects. So without further ado, TJ, thanks for coming on with us today. Appreciate it, Sam and Matt. Happy to be here. Monday morning, Colts Colts win. (laughs) Colts win, big win. Unexpected, two and one in the season. A Vinatieri doinker right off the field goal post. He's got it going. I'd invest in him. (laughs) The GOAT for sure. That's great. That's great. So, TJ, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, just at a high level, and your experience investing? You know, some would call you a well-seasoned investor, but you might scoff at that. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into it. Yeah, well-seasoned is a bit hard to swallow. Uh, <laughs> just uh, 41, so to have that term behind me from being an entrepreneur for several years is, is kind of daunting. But uh, got into real estate through a number of different ways. My father was in real estate and. and bought and sold some houses, uh, always lived in a fixer-up, kind of growing up and living out on a farm. So I'm a terrible employee. It's taken me a couple of different jobs to realize I'm a terrible employee, so I've always been entrepreneurial. And I really looked at the indie market and what to get into uh, kind of as a defense mechanism at first to prevent some houses close to a commercial property being bought up by undesirable possible neighbors. But there's still an opportunity, I think, that there was going to be growth. So when it comes to real estate investing, I always have to take a look at the the turn on it, the hold time, uh, the amount of money it's going to take, and then kind of really what's in the neighborhood. That's my biggest focus. What is in the neighborhood? And it's almost personal. Personal, what do you mean? Well, because I'd rather go on a gut feel and really trust my instinct rather than necessarily all of the market research. Okay. Well, maybe before we, we talk about a specific deal, let's talk about Indianapolis. So you're investing in Indianapolis. Yep. Um, what, what was the thought process behind that? Or, I mean, was there one? Uh, some of it just is because I am local. Uh, I moved down to the north side in 2008 and uh, came to Carmel. Had lived out in Palo Alto, California for a while and really liked Carmel. But, you know, there for a point, I realized I was just living a suburban life. What, what was that like in 2008 with the, the housing crisis? I mean, was yeah, that yeah. right so when it was happening? Or that, like that's a good thing. I come down and I rent, rent a condo and try to decide what to do. And then in 2008, uh, I took a job. Like I said, I was a terrible employee. But started working <laughs> for my brother-in-law. And April of 2009, he calls me and goes, and he's the manager of this place, goes, I've got to make cuts. I go, fire me first, please. <laughs> And so I launched a company in May of 2009, and then, you know, kind of built, no one told me it was a recession or how bad it's going to be, and built it up from there. And with that, that's when I started buying a little bit of real estate as my business took off as well. 
So Indianapolis, because of what I was in, that was commercial construction, I was able to see a whole bunch of different neighborhoods, a lot of different neighborhoods of Indianapolis where, you know, either the government was trying to put money in and people were developing, hey, this one's got some character, this has got some character, and as the economy came back, I knew my way around Indy good enough that you can take a look and say, all right, this one's got potential. Uh, where's the government investing? Where's the city investing? What's going to happen? Yeah, it sounds like a, that's a little bit of that gut feeling town there. Yeah. Yeah. So let's uh, let's talk about maybe a specific deal. Um, since we have uh, around 22 minutes for the podcast, let's, let's jump into like a specific opportunity that you've uh, started and whether you're uh, working on it now or working on it in the past. Let's, I'm yeah. Really in mind. Originally, uh, a couple of the ideas were I bought some, uh, some smaller homes close to where my commercial location was. And I thought it was going to be, it, it was a decent investment, but they were for rentals. And where, where was this at? Just off of Garfield Park on the north side of Raymond Street. Okay. So I was, what, four blocks from Shelby, about eight minute bicycle ride uh, down, what is that, River Parkway or whatever, to, uh, to get to Fountain Square. Okay. So, you know, good, man, it's just taken some of those areas some time uh, to really turn. And I was on a dead end street, which I thought could have its benefits, but they were just going to be rental houses. And that was my investment. Like, all right go pick up some money monthly. Uh, it worked out, it's working good. Took a look at some other houses down on south side of Shelby Street, down towards um, uh, Southport High School, around that area and stuff. But the real estate investing was at first gonna build, you know, and I think a lot of people might get into it at first, gonna get some rentals and build an empire. <laughs> and then you realize that taxes never end, there's never a homestead exemption, you have tenants, things break, going to get a call on uh, Christmas Eve or something like that. And so the market wasn't going to turn uh, as quick as I wanted. So I had to start looking for other opportunities. And that's when I started looking at neighborhoods I liked that were up and coming and indie. I don't know if it's been what the tech scene that's really helped out, but some right. restaurants have grown and some different things. And um, I'm a guy that spends half my time feels like on a bicycle. When I get done with my commute, I do not want to get back in the car. Good way to fill out neighborhoods. It, it Same really here. Is. You're kind of a bike, bike guy, aren't you? I am. I am. Aren't you working on a? You're working on a bike right now, aren't you? Yeah, I always keep a couple projects together. But TJ, one thing you mentioned was the the homestead. Can can you or Matt explain a little bit what that is for maybe some of our more junior investors? What what that might mean for them when they start to invest in real estate? Yeah, so the, the homestead exemption, um, that's if you own, a, you own a home, your taxes are gonna be closer to 1%. Um, so that exemption pulls you down from 2%. So if you're just an investor, you rent out a property, your property taxes are gonna be 2%. So if you're running the, the financials on a, on a deal, uh, you know, double the taxes can really affect the cash flow. Yeah, exactly, and that's, that's what you get into with rentals. You might as well kiss a month, if not sometimes two months of rent goodbye just for your your additional on the property tax yeah so i mean it's a balance of tj's more of a gut feeling guy but it sounds like he's like really learning to say hey let's also focus on the financials and the details too i'm like trust the paper guy like i when i'm running the analysis you know it's really you're diff taking your different personalities recognizing the way you look at opportunities and then um you know kind of meshing the two together right right and matt it's funny on that homestead thing you get something from from the city that your taxes have increased because they assessed your value better. 
and you're a real estate investor, so all you want is a higher value, but then you go down to the county building, you're like, no, no, it's not worth that. Because yeah. <laughs> you want to lower your taxes on your rental. Yeah. So you completely uh, contradict yourself on, on looking at the value. You want your appraiser to value the property high to get more money out. But not the assessor. The assessor to be low, right. Yeah. Um, no. So let's, uh, let's kind of focus the conversation in on um, a specific deal. Like I, I want to talk through like kind of purchase price and then rehab mm -hmm. and timeline and really like the nuts and bolts um, at a more high level. Yeah, uh, yep. there's, a, there's an old saying in the stock market, if you're early on a really good investment, you can still be wrong. Right. <laughs> Even though it pans out, you don't necessarily want to be a trailblazer. Exactly, exactly, and that's um, that's what I was kind of looking at is some of the development in the bike paths and where uh, where micro brews are. I mean, they kind of dictate too where I think some hot pockets and some growths are. So I'm big about being able to access something. And uh, Windsor Park and Woodruff Place, right through there, and that East Tenth, um, going out a few more blocks. They put the bike path in. Yeah. Um, it's got great accessibility. Saw some development going on even further east of town. So I like that, yeah. knowing that people might be transitioning going through. So if you were to get on your bike or walk, you'd have a choice of going both directions. So uh, with my father and even my sister, picked up a property and said, let's, let's see what we can do. And we bought off of 11th Street, just one block behind where one of the best restaurants now in India, say so Beholder. Mm -hmm. Is and uh, how do you, how do you come across the opportunity? Was it like uh, was it listed or did did somebody bring it to you off the market? There was a listing at one time, and then it was one of those. And I'm sure, and I actually know you guys have been involved in too. Someone had bought. They were going to flip it, got into it, and it was more than what uh, what they wanted to do for the rehab versus what yeah. they predicted the the ARV to be. Yeah, and, we're we're seeing a lot of that lately. Just people starting projects, they get. In over their head, a lot of it's with uh, you know mid project, maybe with a contractor that is uh, working them over a little bit. So yeah, we, we see that quite a bit. So you picked up the property and then do you put what was your next step? Do you just put a rehab it's plan panic. together? It was yeah. just sheer panic. <laughs> panic. Just, were you freaking out? Uh, no, not too bad. It, it was more that the the house was damaged to a standpoint of how do we want to do it? So we had a choice, but we had to keep the foundation. And uh, I got a guy, uh, Ben Davis from BBG, great builder, has done a lot of custom homes and things up on the north side. And I had the fortunate pleasure of drinking quite a few beers with him in college. <laughs> that, so uh, there's some stories we can unwrap there. Cool. Yeah, got in touch with him and he did a really good design uh, that fit the neighborhood, I think, the farmhouse kind of looked and some different things. So I needed, and how many of the houses right now that are going through it, I needed a good plan and a picture of what it's gonna look like on paper. Yeah, I need that plan to start with. So once he put the plan together, what kind of timeline? Like was it, at that point in time, that mindset you're in, you you know, you maybe you're panicking a little mm -hmm. bit, you pull together, you get the plan put together. What kind of timeline did, you know, you, did so, he get pitched to you? Yeah. you know? So in all, all the projects, Matt, it's, you, you get the timeline that you want, <laughs> but I use the timeline more of the process of rebuilding because until you really get through tearing it all out to see what you have down to those studs it's hard to stick with that 90 day or 120 yeah. day time right because you just don't know and then if you have to get the city back involved from a permit standpoint or so forth 
we were hoping to do something and we had the pleasure because we self-financed to do something and you know that that six to nine months yep. kind of looking um but once we got into how we wanted to do it we took our time drug our feet a little bit more yeah and then you know you can approach some maybe different things in capital gains by waiting it out past that 12 past months. The 12 months right and once you approach that is it worth waiting it out versus versus taking and paying taxes so uh, drug our feet a little bit on this one. This one's taken just about a year. So what was your, uh, if you don't mind sharing, what was your purchase price on the property? Uh, we were at 59. 59,000. Yep. Sounds like a hell of a deal there. It did, and, and then that's the thing, you know, when you start doing this, you get excited. If you're first kind of into a block, um, it's decent, and then you see some other houses get purchased, and right. you think the whole block's gonna start to move with you, it quite hasn't turned out that way for me. Yeah, I mean, you're trying to hit the top of the market, right? So you've got it for $59,000. you are in an area where you feel like it's progressing, you know, in the neighborhood. It's improving. Right. Fine. So then you're probably, you know, working with the builder to go, all right, how nice do we want to make this? So there you what, go. what was that rehab uh, budget? Uh, the budget we had was at two thirty. Two thirty. Yep. And we went a little bit over budget. <laughs> a little bit over? Uh... Yeah, yeah, we're about six to seven percent over. Okay, so so, so you're looking at you're looking at about three hundred all in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So then, when uh, so six hundred so you I mean you're almost done with the project, right? You're about almost to, done. Yep. About, about to list it. About to list it. Yep. Pretty excited with who we're listing it with. And it is a I will say just as a, a side note here, it is a beautiful property. I'm sure TJ would be happy to sell it to anyone who's listening to this. And I would challenge him a little bit about being the first on the block. Not saying you weren't that specific block, yes, but um, when you talk about riding your bike and the microbreweries over there, you've got Beholder, you've got Woodruff Place right there, mm -hmm. which is, if anyone knows Indianapolis really well, that is one of the staples of Indianapolis. I mean, large homes, uh, good resale value, they typically hold it. You know, the city's doing some things like new bike lanes, new mm -hmm. roads, I mean, even some street lights and areas. And, and when you think about an area that the government's going to invest in, typically those are the first things they do. And I know I lived at 12th in Windsor, so about two blocks uh, west of there, closer to Mass Ave, mm -hmm. you know, Center Point Brewery. And I will say, as a young person who was living over there, it was really nice to travel around. So. Um, I, I don't know if you were the first, but you definitely are like blazing a trail and it, it's definitely helping that area. I mean, can you talk a little bit about being first in there, in that specific block? You're right behind Beholder. You've got two or three microbreweries, the Mayfair Tap Room. Mm -hmm. You've got Centerpoint Brewery. I mean, you're spitting distance from Mass Ave, which that new Coke facility has got to be helping that, that property value. Yeah, totally. It's what, a five minute walk? Yeah. Just over to the library, right there, there's a Indianapolis Public Library, and then, which is off, what, Fall Creekway? Uh, Brookside, I think. Brookside, yeah. Brookside, you're right. And then, uh, I don't know the developers that are building that new cinema, mm -hmm. and that cinema's coming along, and that's going to be great, too. So, there's all these intrinsic qualities um, outside the home, which I think really right. matter, and yeah. then, you know, just off of Brookside with the creek running through there, people may not know, there's a few sculptures down there, and there's some green space. Mm -hmm. And there's mature trees around the area, and that's that's for me. And, and, you know, one of the bedrooms upstairs, there's three bedrooms upstairs in this place that it would make kind of a cool home office because when you look out the window, you can actually see Salesforce Tower, you can right. see the Key Bank building, they're all right there. So if you are working from home, you can possibly look at your employer. <laughs> Whether you'd like that or not, it's, it's definitely an option. So you're on the corner there. 
know, have you seen any in any development since you started your project come on the block? Kind of say, okay, this guy is first. Yes. Can we follow through? Like, can yes, you explain was, that a little bit? There was uh, one that was kind of a duplex on the market. Um, same type of location, just you know, it's not the house for me. There was an empty lot actually on the block as well. They've already laid all the foundation, had all the wood delivered the other day, so they're building a brand new house right there. And then the house uh, direct. Yeah, it is. It is. It's good to see new homes. I think go up too. Um, mm -hmm. We'll see how they. I mean, do they're it. they're doing. They're shaping their plan literally based off of what you did. I mean, exactly. Not you individually, but as a piece of that, right? Like, they're looking at that improvement. They're seeing you know your house go up, and then they're making decisions yeah. based on. I mean, it's cool to see a neighborhood start to improve like that. Exactly right, Matt. So, you've mentioned a couple different types of investment here. Right. You've done the rentals down there uh -huh. by Garfield Park. Um, you've got a flip on the Near East side now, mm -hmm. both pretty up-and-coming areas. You sent us an article earlier today about how it's harder than ever in a few years to, to get money out of flips. Can you tell us a little bit about what you think might be driving that? Because we have some opinions ourselves, but I'm interested to hear from your perspective as an investor why you got out of rentals and why you went into flips and, and what you think your future portfolio potentially looks like. Well, I'll add a little bit to that too. Like what, with this specific project in mind, you know, we're about to put the live indie sign out in front. We're about mm -hmm. to list the property. You know, with, with what you've seen on this flip and just as a whole, as kind of Sam alluded to, like how's this shaped your, your mindset? Like what have you learned from it? What's the impact been? You know, from just the basis of a flip standpoint, the mistakes I made on, on this one specifically is I use my own tastes and mm. what mm. I would desire in a home right. versus what might just look good on the market itself. And it's evident from as soon as you walk into the home and even walking around it. Uh, we use some, some, we use Hardy Plank mm. on the outside and then we opted for a new option they offer, which is pre-painted. So all, all of a sudden you got 20 years out of a cement fiber board. I mean, the siding on this thing is indestructible. Mm. Sounds like somebody's gonna get a hell of a deal. But yeah, I mean that's important to. Yeah. It, you know you're not gonna be moving into the house. Yeah, but I'm reading about. Yeah, it's a I'm reading about all the qualities, Matt and Sam. Going, this is this <laughs> awesome. This is great. I don't even have it on my own home. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then you know with the kitchen, we that kitchen's a badass kitchen. Though. It is. We went all out on that, and uh, just some of the other features. It's great. The master bedroom is fantastic with a huge walk-in closet, the dual vanities, and the and all the tile throughout. And, yeah, and, and it's all white. It almost looks as if you're walking into the Delano down in Miami, just <laughs> whiteness everywhere. But uh, So it sounds like something that's just reshaping your mindset on like how you'd go out another flip in a project moving forward. Completely, completely. There, there's, still, there's still good money um, on flips. There, there really is. It's out there. Uh, the margins are there. I don't think anyone should go into it thinking this is – I can quit my job, I'm gonna get rich right. type of thing. I think you need to provide, and that's my concern, you know, two concerns in Indianapolis right now is one, providing a quality home. You know, like let's let, let's not leave these people with, with flips they're gonna pay. Yeah. If we're gonna do flips and we're gonna go in and gentrify a neighborhood and help out as investors and as rehabbers and so forth, let's let's make sure we do it right. Let's make sure we do it right, and and that's that's the biggest thing. I mean, my comparison would be we saw the mid '90s come in, and C.P. Morgan was a builder, and they were offering you know like 2,200 square feet houses for $65 a square foot. 
Right. I mean, you could be and you could have the American delusion or the American dream, whatever you look at, home ownership <laughs> on how you want to. But you know, people are doing it. it was, you could get a mortgage and build equity for less than what they're paying on rent. Right. Which seems great. But you drive through those neighborhoods now that are only 15 years old and the houses are falling apart. Yeah. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see people have to redo a home in 15 years in Fountain Square. I don't think it's fair. To right. Mm-hmm. Well, and you're, I mean, this wasn't the only thing you've been doing over the last 12 months either, right? So, like, do you feel like people, like, you know, maybe, maybe our listeners right now that are sitting at, you know, they're driving, driving on, you know, on the way to work and they're about to sit at a desk all day, like, can someone that's doing that, I know you don't sit at a desk mm-hmm. all day, but is some, someone that's doing that, you know, right now, like, can they do a flip like this, like, while also balancing a job? They can. I would say, though, if you want to start on it, unless you are a very, very good craftsman and plan on sacrificing all your evenings and weekends of doing a lot of the work yourself, put, and you have the money to do a flip, put the money to work. You mean like with invest your, with someone. your team, like yep. people that are in, invest in somebody else to do it. Invest in the people that have the good quality general contractors or the good quality HVAC. Put the money to work there. That's, yeah. That that and then watch it. Be involved. Find a person that knows how to do it. That's done it. Has a track record. But tell them, hey, I want to be involved in the process too. So uh, yeah, Sam. I mean, you mentioned that all the time to me, like putting people in the right places to succeed. Yeah. And, and I think that's like a great example of that like. You know, you don't have to be a, a craftsman. You don't have to be someone that understands every single piece of real estate and, and how a flip functions. But if you have the right people on your team, you can create those relationships and put them in the right spot. Um, I think you can be that, that guy or gal sitting in an office, you know, kind of thinking about the flip on the side and, and really moving your moving the needle on your, your personal net worth. And, yep. and it's fun too, all right? I mean, you're having fun. You can see a development come through. And it, it's cool to see a project come to fruition. It is. It, absolutely. And it's one of those things that specifically with most of our listeners, I'm assuming are going to be in Indy, but if not, they're looking to invest here. This is one of the world's best places right now to invest. It's, I mean, it's still very much so a um, affordable market. And you know, oh, I, I would say if, if you're here, why not utilize it? And especially with where salaries are going in Indy, it's a, it's a really exciting time to, to do that. So I think what we're going to do here, TJ, is we're going to move into what we like to call our stoplight speed round. So if you're stuck in traffic or if you're moving forward, we've got three potential questions that we'd like to ask and feel free to, to fire away. Matt, you want to take over there? Definitely. Yeah. So uh, what is your favorite, it doesn't have to be a real estate book, but what is your favorite book that you've recently read? Mm, I've got two. Uh, you only get one. I'm well, joking. Yeah, but my, <laughs> oh yeah, we the, said the one. The one's a bit know. of a, a tabletop picture book and okay. um, my wonderful girlfriend, Kathy, just picked it up for me and it's the story of Yvonne Chouinard, the founder of Patagonia. And it's got pictures between him and Doug Tompkins, who founded North Face, all over the world, and kind of what his strategy is from sustainable living and conservation and being a steward of the land. Mm-hmm. So I love looking through that. There's great stories, um, and that's a good one. The other book that I have read, you know, a couple times just because it's fun is not very well known. It's called In Search of Captain Zero. And it's uh, it's sounds guy. like a superhero book. No, not quite, not quite. But he's um, he's just a surfer and uh, takes off from Montauk and drives his his dog and his truck and his camper clear down to Brazil, just surfing waves, looking for an old buddy that they call Captain Zero. We'll put we'll make sure to put those in the, the show notes. And yeah, 
maybe our, our audience can can take a look at those. Sound, sound very interesting. So next question is, what is your favorite go-to restaurant in Indy? Hmm, in Indy. You know, I really, unfortunately, I really miss B's Po' Boys. Oh, man. She used to be on Shelby there in Fountain Square. Used to go there all the time for a killer sandwich. Um, God, there's just too many to choose from. It's uh, a good problem. I mean, you've got a lot of cool stuff. It spots. is. I've had some really good tacos at Condado's. Mm-hmm. They're in Broad Ripple now. And so if I just had to go out and ride my bike down from Carmel and grab something, I'd, I'd hit some Condado's. Yeah. 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 But I'm, you know. A lot of good taco spots. There is. There is. But the Monon Trail is my interstate once I get done with work and get home. Yeah. So anywhere I can access on that, I'm, I'm going to hit. There's a good place in Westfield, too. A little sushi joint. So All right, so we're to out. our, uh, we've been through the red light, the yellow light. About to approach the green light question here with, if you could live anywhere in Indy, where would you live and why? Probably inside Banker's Life. <laughs> inside Banker's Life. <laughs> yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Are sick. you a big Pacer fan? or you just... I just, I love basketball. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I've always loved basketball. Uh, anywhere in Indy. This is a great time yeah. to pitch your, right, your so flip over there in Windsor Park. Yeah, right? it's great. <laughs> it, it, it's great, and some people may not like this, but being in Carmel since 2008, I've seen a lot of development, and the place I bought, is it's a block and a half from the Mona. It's a five-minute walk to Farmer's Market, and so I would take any place that makes you feel comfortable and that gives you the capability to just be outside. That. That would be my area. That's and awesome. Walk to a grocery store, walk to a bar. I mean, I'm not trying to be Norm from the old TV show Friends, but <laughs> it, it, it's good to have a neighborhood area. It like is. If you can have a neighborhood, it's nice. Yeah, absolutely. Well, TJ, we appreciate you, you being on today. With, with one last question here as we wrap up, if you had any piece of advice for somebody who's looking to either invest for the first time or even expand their portfolio as they're looking to invest in Indianapolis, what would that one piece of advice be that you would give them? You gotta believe in the area and the market and the house you're doing yourself. You know, and believe in the people around you. That's it, because if you don't, you can't expect anyone else to believe in it, and you can't have someone sell it. That's that's the biggest thing. Like, look for the, the team. Um, back in my venture capital days, it was an A team with a B idea will always beat the A idea. So, team is good. I love it. An A team, a B idea, yep. gets the job done. Yeah, well, I love that. I mean, we could go pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. <laughs> so, so don't try to make hundred grand on your first flip. Well, yeah, it's, take it's, thirty, take the profit. I always see when I and we'll close up here. Like when I always talk to first time investors or somebody looking for a, a first project, I, it's always about like the questions are always geared towards the profit and the the money side of things. Which for me, I already told you, super important to me. I'm all about the details, the numbers. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I think that if you find the right project, something you believe in, with the team that you believe in, the money's going to come. Right. Um, so I, I think that's, I'm basically taking your really good advice and trying to make my own to sound smart. So <laughs> there we go. Appreciate your time today, TJ. Appreciate it, guys.